from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A legacy of hard work in fighting to keep farming through hard work and tenacity and, and faith. Opportunities can come your way. One farmer's inspiring story that makes him one of the top producers in the country. What could farm income look like this year? It's another shocker from USDA. We dig into the numbers as USDA provides a new snapshot on South American crops. Uh, and I think that's probably what's keeping beans afloat a little bit. How much of a threat could farmers here face? Right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on the cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. USDA is bumping up soybean stocks due to slower exports right now. The agency releasing its latest supply demand report. These ending stocks numbers all coming in higher than the market anticipated. Corn stocks up 10 million bushels from last month to 2.1 billion. Soybeans up 35 million to 315 million, and wheat also up 10 million bushels to 658 million. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins me. Michelle, while we are facing competition from Brazil, USDA is once again cutting its corn and soybean production forecasts for the country. Yeah, that's true, Clinton. But while USDA cut Brazilian corn and soybean production, it wasn't as much as the trade had expected. So the focus was more on PONAP's production estimates for Brazil, which came out well ahead of USDA. USDA did acknowledge the impact of the historic drought on Brazil's production, but only lowered soybeans 1 million metric tons and revised last year's crop up by 2 million. That and higher U.S. ending stocks were bearish. However, market analysts say those numbers were trumped by CONAB's estimate for Brazil beans at 149.4 million metric tons, down nearly 6 million from last month. And USDA only dropped it by a million tons from last month, 157 to 156. So now you've got USDA uh, roughly six and a half million tons higher on Brazilian soybean production than CONAB. Uh, and I think that's probably what's keeping beans afloat a little bit. While USDA slow played Brazil's soybean estimates, Split expects USDA to eventually ratchet the crop down, maybe after more harvest results. Will they come down more? I'd like to think so, uh, especially when they're as much above CONAB as they are. Um, I wouldn't be surprised in the long run to see the, the total production below 150 million tons, uh, but maybe it takes uh, the USDA a couple months to get there. On Brazil, corn USDA cut the crop by 3 million metric tons to 124 million, but it's still well above CONAB's estimate. You know, you look at, at CONAB and they took the uh, Brazil corn down, what do I have here, 3.9 million tons. They dropped exports 3 million tons and uh, that was down to 113.7. Split says USDA left Argentina production numbers unchanged at 55 million tons on corn and 50 million on beans, which is positive as the trade expected a slight increase. And he says CONAP also increased Brazil wheat production by 2 million metric tons, which was bearish. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. We're also tracking this. USCA releasing its first look at 2024 net farm income, forecasting a dramatic drop. USCA now forecasting net farm income to fall to $116.1 billion, down 27% from 2023, the biggest drop since 2006. Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan is here with more. And Tyne, this is USCA's first look at 2024 net farm income. What was so surprising? 
Well, Clint, it was just how dramatic of a drop USDA is forecasting for net farm income this year. As crop prices plunge, we know it's pressuring the farm financial picture. And I caught up with Farm Journal Washington correspondent Jim Wiesmeyer during Top Producer this week. And you pile on the last year's drop in net farm income with the expectation for it to drop another 27% this year. It just really shows how strained the farm economy could become this year. It's another shocker from USDA. They have a net farm income down $40 billion from last year. And that's on top of the around $26 billion that was cut from 2023 uh, uh, in 2023 from 2022. Uh, that's a major decline and it shows the price cost squeeze that farmers are in right now and will be in for at least the next uh, year. A uh, uh, possible implication of that is it should put some more pressure on farm bill lawmakers to get an actual farm bill done to increase the farmer safety net under Title I, but I have my doubts on that. Now, Clinton, take a look at this chart. This is where net farm income has been trending since 2018. The $116.1 billion forecast by USDA this year isn't as low as what we saw in 2020, but it is below 2021 levels. Now, Clinton, next week is USDA's annual Ag Outlook Forum in Washington, where they will update their forecast for crop prices. Wiesmeyer says this could signal USDA will dramatically lower their expectations for most commodity prices as well. Reporting from our Kansas City studios, I'm Tyne Morgan for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Tyne. Now, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack also weighing in, saying while we have rebuilt the global supply, we are seeing a decreased demand for U.S. commodities and commodity prices are coming down. At the same time, while some production costs have come down, others, including labor, pesticides, and livestock purchases, have increased. This brings us to the slightly below historic levels for farm income forecasted today. Southern California is cleaning up from days of rain, but this is what's left behind, a muddy mess. Crews in Los Angeles here using heavy equipment and shovels to dig out homes trapped in mudslides. At least 475 mudslides were reported in the Los Angeles area after more than a foot of rain fell in some places. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joining us, and Matt, snow and rain are starting to reappear in the forecast. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you remember last week with the blocking pattern in place, uh, anywhere we saw moisture or precipitation, it was green. Uh, we had above average temperatures, not a lot of snow. With this next system moving through, and I point to right here, this is Friday at 10 a.m. We're starting to open up once again for some cold air to come down from Canada and work across the United States. So that freezing line where we look between the rain and the snow line, that is going to drift down to the south as well. Another system coming off of the, uh, the west coast. As I continue to see some rain, that's going to be working to the northeast. And you'll see uh, some of the rain as well as possibility of some snow back up here to the north come with it. Now, this is Saturday at 11 a.m. Uh, into the weekend, you see a big trough digging back down here to the south. Cut off low staying to the south as well. Again, that's Sunday at 6 a.m. Coming up in a little bit, we'll take a, a greater look at that system. I'm going to take a look at your screen here. Yes, it was a big rain event for California, but it also is helping to fill up the state's biggest reservoir. The California Farm Water Coalition sharing this picture, reporting that Shasta Lake saw a one foot increase in just one day and a five feet increase last week. It says right now the lake is about 30.
feet shy of its full capacity. And that's a rise of about 47 feet compared to the last same time last year. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. It appears we weren't buying as much from China as we used to. New numbers show Mexico has now taken the number one spot from China as our top source for imports. That's the first time that's happened in 20 years. Numbers show the U.S. trade deficit with China dropped 20 percent to just over $427 billion. Americans buying less crude oil and chemicals along with fewer consumer goods last year. It comes after the pandemic when Americans bought up Chinese-made electronics and other home goods while they were stuck at home. Economists telling the New York Times the drop in trade with China has been linked to tariffs. More than 7 million bushels of corn sold to Colombia wasn't enough to overcome USDA's latest reports. We'll talk markets coming up next. And later, from the Chesapeake Bay to the Arkansas Delta, we'll meet a farmer celebrating his legacy while working toward his future as a finalist for Top Producer of the Year in the country. markets were mixed ahead of Thursday's Wadsey Report. Michelle Rook is back with where things closed and what to watch as we end the week in markets now. Greens ending mixed on Thursday. Don Rose is with us and Don, I want to talk about the soybeans. We had a little bearish news in the Wadsey Report on soybeans, but it looks like what? Either CONAB numbers trumped that or was that this play in rally in the bean oil? Well, I think if you look back, you know, the, uh, the morning started with uh, CONAB coming out, we tried to rally uh, sharply on soybeans, uh, mildly up on corn, and then we uh, faltered uh, as we hit the USDA number. So I think it was kind of a jump ball, um, you know, positive uh, CONAB numbers, uh, corn and beans, and then uh, just the opposite on the USDA with the ending stocks jumping up over 300 million on beans. Do you think that the soybean market is acting like it's trying to bottom at all? Well, I, it feels like it. Remember, uh, June 8th, uh, we put in a low 11.75 and a quarter. Uh, weather turned uh, threatening and we rallied almost $2 in two weeks on soybeans. So I think you're, uh, when you went down today to a, or yesterday to 11.79, uh, you know, it was a pretty good support zone. We're kind of basing here. Uh, most definitely we need a catalyst. Yeah. We had kind of a push pull with the CONAB and the WASDE numbers when it came to corn as well, but you know, the sum total is, is we still have a big carryout in the U.S. And so are we going to still keep seeing contract lows? Well, you know, I think we have to remember that, you know, there's a lot of uh, unknown on the South America crop yet. Of course, when you're lugging around a big carryout, 2.2 billion uh, corn roughly, you know, hard to be uh, positive. But 40 um, percent of uh, Argentine's corn crop went through uh, pollination with some really hot temperatures. And, of course, we have a lot of sathrina corn uh yet to pollinate that's a long ways out probably most of it in that uh, late march april time frame so a lot of unknowns on the corn yet uh michelle and there's a big disconnect between what the uh, usda says the uh, brazil crop is and what conab says so uh, we're going to still sort that out going forward but it looks like if you believe conab that there's somewheres around 450 million bushels of corn that uh, needs to uh, have somebody else export it versus Brazil. Is it going to be the U.S., uh, Ukraine, or just who? Thanks. Don Rose, U.S. Commodities. We'll have more Ag Day coming up.
to start right where we left off, that weekend forecast. A light rain, maybe a rumble of thunder back into Ohio and Pennsylvania coming up this weekend. This is all going to be tracking more to the east. Cold front isn't really attached to this, but it is attached to this. And you can kind of see that uh, the rain and the snow right up against each other in the panhandle of Texas and into Oklahoma. Good indication of that cold air coming down from the north to the south. Now this cutoff low is going to work towards the east. At the surface, we'll get that low pressure system and bringing with it the moisture and the precipitation. Again, this is Sunday at about 7 o'clock at night. Uh, the uh, cloud cover here is going to keep temperatures in check. So I'm not expecting another you know, well above average weekend, Saturday, Sunday, or even into Monday. As we go into Monday and Tuesday, though, that's where we start to see those cooler, colder temperatures come back into play, attach to that low pressure system. As for the current snow depth, just want to revisit this. You see we're kind of eliminating it in and across uh, not only a good portion of the Midwest, but back down here to the south and the southwest. As we just looked at, snow chances will be increasing through the panhandle of uh, Texas and Oklahoma, and then back over here towards the east with that next system. It uh, looks like Monday and into Tuesday. So what's going on with that jet stream? So we looked at the lines a little bit ago. Take this out through the weekend and into next week, and we're going to get back into a February pattern that favors High pressure followed by low pressure systems, as you see there, Tuesday into Wednesday, and then more of a zonal uh, system or zonal flow set up Wednesday and Thursday. Little bump here in the jet stream, indicating a ridge is going to try to form back out here to the west. Now, the stronger this comes through next Thursday, the more likely we'll see those above average high temperatures extend out here to the east coast. But if this stays shallow, that's going to allow a clipper system to come down from the north and down here to the southeast. So the time frame again, that is going to be Friday, Saturday and Sunday as we eye uh, the uh, development of this ridge into next week. Precipitation outlook. This is the uh, 13th just after just before now Valentine's Day through the 17th. You got that brown indicating a uh, drier than normal conditions for the Midwest up to the northeast with most of the rain to the south. Ascoda, you got to say it like that in Michigan. You got some morning clouds and sun higher on 47 degrees, low of 33. Meeker, Colorado, snow showers around, high of 32, low of 13. Eagle River, Wisconsin, beautiful part of the country, high of 35. Case IH going big this week with the release of its new AF11 combine, saying it's the world's largest combine harvester. Case IH showing off the new 775 horsepower machine that includes a first ever dual rotor, 567 bushel grain tank and a six bushel per second unload rate. It also boasts improved fuel efficiency and longer run times. Technology wise, the combine is smart, marching steadily toward full automation. It's solving the number one issue our customers have today, which is labor scarcity. And not only labor scarcity, but the skill of that laborer. So you get in this machine, you use our Harvest Command feature set, you're taking a relatively untrained operator and making them an expert by using those automation features. We aren't towards full autonomy, which was your question, until we automate every little building block along the way, driving, turning, loading or unloading, um, setting the machine, which is this Harvest Command feature. But each building block uh, along the way towards full autonomy is what we're working on. Now you can see the AF-11 in person this month at the National Farm Machinery Show. And a company called CropX Technologies is partnering with irrigation giant Ranky to roll out a pivot-mounted sensor 
capable of monitoring field-specific crop water use. The Precision Ag Sensor measures evapotranspiration, helping measure how much water plants are using and adjusting irrigation to crops' needs. The company says the sensors, which bolt on and can be combined with soil-based sensors, can help farmers optimize that water usage. While irrigation water is an important part of rice farming, we'll meet a candidate for top producer of the year working to maximize his water efficiency while growing a global business. Next. One top producer finalist is a man on a mission. This morning we introduce you to PJ Haney, who is building a legacy that shows no signs of slowing down. No step is too big for top producer finalist P.J. Haney. His farming legacy is being built on deep family roots. My family lineage dates back to my great-great-grandfather, who was the first African-American to come out of slavery and purchase 60 acres of land on September 14, 1867 in Northumberland County, Virginia. Today, his family still owns and operates a portion of that land, now spread across four counties in the northern neck of Virginia and near the Chesapeake Bay. I spent a lot of time with my dad. I was his walking shadow. And I tell folks that my dad tricked me into farming. You know, as I was on the floor carpet farming with my toys, I matriculated to the bigger toys, the real ones. After graduating from Virginia Tech, Haney returned to the family operation looking to build the future with a focus on technology and improving efficiency. Instead of planting from sunup to sundown, you know, dad would say, hey, you can take that bubble on that roof and you can work half the night, can't you? And I said, yeah. So he said, all right, we'll get you in a big field so you can work tonight. And that way, you know, it increased our productivity with the equipment by being able to work longer days and longer hours. One of five kids, today, he and his four sisters still work together on the farm. But in 2010, while helping start and run a nonprofit called the National Black Growers Council, Haney found himself in the Arkansas Delta. You know, if we had a farm down south, we could probably start planting three to four weeks before we start here in Virginia. And with the equipment, we have our own trucks. Let's haul a tractor and a planter down and some equipment down, get it done, and then bring it back up to Virginia to spread the cost of that equipment over more acres. 16 hours and a thousand miles from home, Haney went to work building a satellite operation in Phillips County, Arkansas. He's learning to plant on raised beds and furrow irrigate. It also opened the door to his newest endeavor, restarting an abandoned rice mill. And when we went to this facility, we saw a, I should say a diamond in the rough. We saw an opportunity. Today, he's running the nation's only black-owned rice mill. And thanks to new USAID contracts, he's helping to feed the world. It's a mission he takes seriously as a farmer and as a member of the black row crop farming community. You know, in 1920, there were a million black farmers in this country and African-Americans owned 16 million acres of land. Present day, there are less than 15,000 black row crop farmers and less than two million acres of black owned land. And if we don't continue to keep our foot on the gas, black men and women in row crop production and agriculture are gonna be extinct. A mission he's working to fulfill every day. And I'm hoping that my interest and my advocacy work will show others in the country and other young men, you know, who I, you know, was in their shoes one day, that through hard work and tenacity and, and faith, you know, opportunities can come your way. Congratulations to P.J. Haney, a finalist for the 2024 Top Producer of the Year. 
Now, the Top Producer Summit took place this week in Kansas City, and a big highlight, the Top Producer Awards Banquet. Honors were handed out, including the Top Producer of the Year, which was given to Christensen Land and Cattle and owners Christine and Eddie Hamilton of Kimball, South Dakota. Congratulations to all the Top Producer winners and finalists. Now, if you'd like to see more about all of them, head over to our website, agweb.com. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day on the front.